guess I hadn't got up here fast enough, so uh, run that back. Hey, good morning. My name is David. I'm one of the pastors here at the Church of Cane Bay. If you are one of our kindergarten through uh, fifth grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, if you're one of our kids, you can head back to the back. Pirate ship, battleship, you guys are in the back of the room. We'll see you guys after the service. Hope that you guys have an incredible morning. Uh, Merry Christmas. We can say that. It's pretty close, right? We're, we're within like the, the week of Christmas, so pretty excited about that. Um, when my wife and I first started uh, dating, uh, the, our first Christmas together we were dating, um, I, I bought her gifts and, and I wrapped her gifts. And to be honest with you, uh, it, uh, when, when I gave her her gifts, she was like, oh, this is sweet. Where did you get a child to wrap these gifts? Um, I'm a, I was a terrible gift wrapper. I mean, just really bad. Is anybody in here just like a really bad gift wrapper? Okay, all right, good. Like, I, I know some people are like, well, you know that if you just order on Amazon, they'll wrap it for you. Or if you take it to Belk, they'll wrap it for you. But I just feel a little bit disingenuous, you know, like taking my wife this beautifully wrapped gift, you know. And I, it's like I wanted to kind of put some work into it, you know. And so I just wrapped it, and it just looked awful. I mean, it just is like here this, you know, it really just messes with presentation. And so I kind of decided at that point that I was going to get better at it. I was like, next year, I'm going to be better. And really over the last several years, I've gotten pretty good at gift wrapping. In fact, I'll wrap all your gifts for only like five, six hundred dollars. I've actually gotten pretty good at gift wrapping. And now, like when I wrap gifts, I, I hand these to my wife, and I'm pretty excited about the, the wrapping paper. And when I give it to her, it almost hurts me a little bit when she opens it, you know? Like, she's opening the gift, and I'm just, like, watching it going, I worked so hard on that. Like, that was so good. Like, it was such a good wrapping job, and I've come so far that I almost, like, want to just give you this gift and go, here, I got this for you, but don't unwrap it until, like, Easter. Like, let me just enjoy this for just a little bit. But, like, that's dumb, right? Like, we can all agree that that's dumb to, like, wrap a gift, hand it to somebody, and say, here's a gift, but don't open it. Like, it defeats the purpose if we don't unwrap the gift. You can't fully experience or enjoy a gift if you don't unwrap it. Like, we all get that. We all see that. Last week, we talked about The idea that God has revealed his faithfulness to us through Jesus and that the greatest gift that God could give to humanity, he gave to us in the person of Jesus. We're going to talk about that a little bit more this morning. This idea that the greatest gift we can receive is the gift of God's presence through Jesus. And if you're a believer in this room, if you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, God has given you the greatest gift that he could give you. And it is meant to be experienced. And it is meant to be enjoyed. And unfortunately, in the lives of many believers, that gift stays wrapped up. It stays wrapped up in our hearts. It stays wrapped up in here. The greatest gift we could ever have been given oftentimes stays unwrapped. In our hearts, in our lives. Now a lot of folks would look at this and they would go, listen, listen. Isn't that what it's about? Like my relationship, I hear this a lot. Like my relationship with Jesus, man, it's kind of my business, you know. 
Like, like I don't really want to offend anybody. I don't really want to make this. A, it's my business, right? Isn't it a personal relationship with Jesus? To which I would say yes and amen. Your relationship with Jesus was by and large meant to be personal, but it was never meant to be private. And those are two different things. You see, we've confused the idea of what's personal and what's private. Now we look and say, that's mine. That's personal. That's, that's a personal thing to me. Yes and amen. But the gift that God has given us in Jesus was meant to be personal and it was meant to be very, very public. You ever thought about like when Jesus says, you need to go and get baptized. You're going to follow me. I want you to be baptized. What is baptism? Baptism is simply a public profession of what's happened in our hearts. And so Jesus says, yes, trust me, trust me, have a personal relationship with me. But the first command that he says is, I want you to go public with this. And so we begin to unwrap this gift of God to us through the way that we become very public about our relationship to him. Now, we can get really funny about this and kind of be confusing, and I'm not saying get a sandwich board, get a bullhorn, go down to the corner, shout at people. But what I'm saying is we need to be a little bit more public about the way that we go about speaking and thinking and experiencing and enjoying Jesus. Here's a truth that I want to unpack this morning from the scriptures, okay? So if you're taking notes, you're writing this down, I want you to write this down. Here's the truth we're going to unpack in our little bit of time together this morning. Joy in Christ, joy in Christ will overflow into praise and proclamation. Joy in Christ will always overflow into praise and proclamation. So how do we fully experience and enjoy the gift that God has given us in Jesus? I would say it's through praise and proclamation of who he is. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 2. We're going to finish up in Luke chapter 2 this morning. If you don't own a Bible, don't have a Bible, we have one for you. We'd love to give you one. If you'll just stop by the connection table on your way out this morning, that is our free gift to you. Uh, you can follow along on the screen behind me this morning, or if you have your uh, app open, if you've got the Version app on your phone, on your iPad, you can follow along there as well. However you choose to do that this morning, hope that you would engage with us in the scriptures. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Last week, Pastor Charlie talked about the idea of the four greatest words in the history. And she gave birth, that Mary gave birth to Jesus, God incarnate. 
And here we see kind of the aftermath of this immediately following the birth of Jesus. We see this multitude of angels show up on the scene and proclaim the birth of the Savior, the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah to a group of shepherds. And the shepherds go and they find this Jesus and they return glorifying God and speaking to one another and to others about what they had seen and what they had heard. This is a great um, passage of joy. And so what I want to unpack this morning is just this two, I think there's two positions of joy in this text. The first is an indwelling joy, a joy that dwells inside of us. And the second is an overflowing joy, a joy that comes out in proclamation and in praise. So let's first look at this idea of indwelling joy, joy that indwells us, joy within us. This joy is found in the presence of God. This joy is found in the presence of God. Listen, we talk a lot about joy in the Christmas season. Like I was even looking today, like on my Christmas tree, you've got ornaments and they've got little words written on them. And, and always, you always hear the word joy around this time. And even the angels, when they arrive, they say, I bring you good news of great joy. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. They're speaking about joy. And listen, here's what, if you, don't, if you don't remember anything else this morning, here's what I want you to remember. We will never, ever be able to attain true joy apart from the presence of God. Ever. Can't happen. We cannot attain true joy apart from the presence of God. Now, we have to differentiate between joy and happiness, right? Because here's what I do believe is true. I absolutely believe that you can be happy apart from the presence of God. And that there are lots of people, perhaps even in this room, in our community, in our world, who are living today perfectly happy lives apart from the presence of God. So we have to differentiate between what we mean by joy and what we mean by happiness. Here's the way I differentiate. Happiness is an emotion brought on by a circumstance. Happiness is an emotion brought on by a circumstance. This happened, so I am happy. This happened, so I am not happy. Happiness is totally circumstantial. You can be having the happiest day of your life, and all of that can be changed tonight by a phone call, right? You get a phone call tonight, and that happiness that you've been experiencing can be gone. Why? Because it's a temporal fleeting emotion. However, joy is not like happiness in the sense. Joy is not an emotion brought on by a circumstance. Joy is a choice based on truth. Joy is a choice. We can choose to be joyful and it's based on a truth. And here's what I believe the truth that brings about joy. The truth that we choose to believe, the, tr- the truth that I believe brings us joy is this simple phrase that God is good and does good always. That is not circumstantial. You can say that on good days. You can say it on bad days. God is good and does good always. And the only way we believe that is if we find ourselves in the presence of God. And it's the presence of God that brings us joy. Great joy. 
the greatest gift that God could give you this Christmas is the gift of himself. That in his presence, you might find joy. That's why the angels come and they say, we bring you good news of great joy. What are they saying here? The joy that comes about is that God has come to man. The presence of God now can be found by men through Jesus. Every other religion in the world says this, come to me and I will show you how to find God. Christianity is the only religion that says God has come to find us. And that's what the angels are proclaiming. They come and they say God has come to find us. And that is good news of great joy. The problem is, you and I mostly don't look for joy in the presence of God. We look for joy in the presence or the gifts of God. We look for joy in the things that God can give us or bring us. Not simply in who he is, but in what can he do for me. I want you to think about this question. I just want you to think about this. Fill in the blank in this sentence. Because I think, if we're honest, everybody struggles with this. Fill in the blank here. If I had blank, I would have joy. If I had blank, I would have joy. What is it? What is it for you? Money? If I just had more money this Christmas, I'd be a lot more joyful. Is it a relationship? If I just had this relationship, I would be joyful. Is it a job? If I just could get this job, I would be joyful. Whatever you fill in the blank with, whatever you fill in the blank of that sentence with, that is your God. That is what we are looking to for joy. If I could just get this promotion, I'd be joyful. No, you wouldn't. If I just made more money, I would be joyful. No, you wouldn't. Because joy is not found in those things. Joy is only found in the truth of God's presence. And so we say, if I only had God. I could be joyful. And the good news is this morning, you can. You can have him. You can have the presence of God in your life through Jesus and the gift of the Holy Spirit given to us. We do not come to God for God's things. We come to God for God himself. One of the most famous passages of scripture is Psalm 23. Everybody know Psalm 23? Psalm 23 is a passage usually that's read um, at funerals or, or something along those lines. But Psalm 23 is a beautiful passage. I just want to read this to you. You know it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now there are lots of things in this passage that are done for the psalmist. It makes me lie down, still passage, 
beside the still waters. He restores my soul. There are lots of things that are being done, but all of those things are done through the presence of God. He says, I'm not going to fear anything. Good, bad, doesn't matter. Why? Because you've given me money? Because you've given me a job? Because you're with me. And in your presence, I find peace and joy. We will never attain true joy apart from the presence of God. And here's the good news. This morning, I don't think anybody in this room is here by accident. You're drawn here by the presence of God this morning. God is saying to you once again, you're looking for joy. It's only found in my presence. And the way that you find God's presence is through Jesus. We trust him as our Savior and as our Lord. And that doesn't mean from this day forward you're always going to be happy. But it does mean that you will have unshakable joy that God is good and does good always. That can be yours this morning and that's good news. It's good news. Indwelling joy, the presence of God, God with us. Now that leads to the second part. Indwelling joy always leads to overflowing joy. This is where we get back to what we talked about at the beginning. The presence of God in your life was not meant to be private. It was meant to be personal, but it was meant to be public. Joy inside of us, true, indwelling joy through the person of Jesus will always overflow out of us in two ways. One, into praise back to God, and two, of proclamation of God to one another. So we get now overflowing joy. So let's look at the second part of this. Overflowing joy is the praise of God, the praise of God. Now, the scriptures, particularly the Psalms, speak of praising God. And the psalmist does not merely suggest that we should praise God. He doesn't suggest it. He doesn't say, hey, if you feel like it, give God a compliment every now and then. No, no, no. The scriptures command that we praise God. It is a command that we praise God. Um, one of the best books that I've ever read, I just read it again actually last month. And, and listen, if you're looking for a, a good um, holiday book for somebody in your family, man, that's a, that's a reader. Uh, I just recently read um, Reflections on the Psalms by C.S. Lewis. It's one of his kind of lesser known books, but it is incredible. Um, and in this book, C.S. Lewis writes about this idea. He says, in the Psalms, One of the things that bothered him before he was a believer, C.S. Lewis was an atheist agnostic who converted to Christianity and became one of the great thinkers of our time. He says, one of the things that really bothered me about reading the Psalms when I was an atheist or when I was agnostic was that you have this God who's commanding that people praise him. And Lewis said that really didn't jive with him. Um, You ever been around somebody that just fishes for compliments? You know, like, like, like you've been around somebody that like they're, they're wearing something new, and they're kind of like, yeah, I got this uh, new shirt today. And it's like they're just kind of fishing for you to say, like, okay, like everybody's a little bit unnerved by that person who's fishing for compliments. Now imagine if you're around somebody who walks in the room and goes, I got a new shirt, tell me it looks good. Lewis says this really bothers him, that in the Scriptures, in the Psalms, you have a God who's telling his people Praise me. Praise me. 
He says, this make God, in his eyes, he said, this makes God look like a vain woman searching for compliments. And so why does God command us to praise him? Why does he do this? Here's what I want to show you. Um, Lewis finally concludes that God doesn't need our praise. He's like, God doesn't need our praise any more than I need my dog to tell me that the books I'm reading are good. He's like, God doesn't need our praise. That's not what God commands praise for. It's not because he needs it from us. Here's why God does this. To understand it, we've got to get this um, idea about praise and its purposes. And Lewis eventually writes this. He says, I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses, readers their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game. This is key. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. And so Lewis arrives to this truth that I think is is brilliant and very true. That praising something or someone completes our enjoyment of it. Let me give you this example. So um, a couple months ago, I, uh, I listened to podcasts a, a lot. I listened to a lot of podcasts. Uh, and one of my favorite podcasts is a podcast put on by uh, National Public Radio called This American Life. And uh, a couple months ago, This American Life put out a spinoff podcast called Serial. Does anybody listen to Serial? Like, okay, yes, okay, all right. Two of you, awesome. All right, so it is, uh, at the time, Serial is a podcast that is one story told week after week. It's very much kind of a true crime. It's an investigative reporter, and she's investigating a murder case in 1999, Baltimore, where a young man was convicted of murdering his girlfriend. And she goes back and begins to uncover a lot of the things that happened in the case that don't quite add up. And they tell this story week after week of the new things that she's discovering, of how the case was handled, of all the characters that are around the case. And it is fascinating. Fascinating. And I started to listen to it when it first came out. And I was hooked. Like I was in. I was listening. I was waiting. They put it out once a week on Thursdays. I was waiting. I couldn't wait to listen to this. And I got my wife. I was like, babe, you have to start listening to this. And she got on board. And then we started listening to it together. Since then, it has become the most downloaded podcast in America. It is downloaded over a million times each week. And what started to happen is my wife and I started to have long conversations about this thing. Like at one point, I eventually was like, you know what? I'm pretty sure that I might have done it. Like I don't know. Like... Just feel like, where was I in 99, you know? Like, have I been to Baltimore? Like, I'm just like thinking through. And we, all of a sudden, so we start having conversations about it. And then we tell other people, we go home on Thanksgiving to our family. It's like, listen, you've got to start listening to this thing. I talked to Joel and Emily, and I'm like, Joel, listen, man, you've got to start listening to this. And then all of a sudden, very slowly, a lot of our friends start to listen to this, and they come back to us, and they go, so this serial thing is awesome. And we go, I know, right? 
Like it's incredible. And we start having these conversations and all the while what's happening is my enjoyment in this thing that I have found and since praised and drawn other people into, I'm enjoying more and more and more and more. So when God commands us in the Psalms to praise him, he is not commanding us to praise him because he needs our praise. He is commanding us to praise him so that our enjoyment in him might be complete that it might be complete. God says when you praise things, man, it just completes your enjoyment. You ever enjoyed something and not had anybody to tell? It's the worst. It's the worst. Why? Because praise completes our enjoyment. And in our praising of him, the overflowing joy in our heart and praise back to God. What we are doing is we are completing our joy in the great joy giver. Joy will overflow into praise of God, but that is not the only place that it will overflow. It will also overflow into proclamation to one another. Proclamation of God to one another. At the end of this story, shepherds, it says in verse 20, they go with haste. They find Mary and Joseph and the baby and they tell them of what the angels have said. And in verse 20, it says that the shepherds return. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard as it had been told to them. And so the shepherds see the joy of the presence of the Messiah. They return praising God, completing their enjoyment. And then they also proclaim their enjoyment to one another. So as the shepherds return, and they just speak of this to one another. Can you believe what we have seen tonight? Can you believe what we have experienced tonight? And they begin again. Again, anew, to praise God among one another, to proclaim his glory, to proclaim his faithfulness, to proclaim his good works one to another. And I think this is important. I think this is important because when we start talking about proclaiming um, the goodness of God, we can um, very narrowly begin to think that we're only supposed to proclaim God's goodness to those who do not know him. But this is not scriptural. In the scriptures, we are commanded not only to proclaim God's goodness to those who do not know him, but to proclaim God's goodness one to another. And the shepherds go back and they encourage one another and they speak of God's goodness and they complete their joy in praising him. And so let me just challenge you with this, this Christmas, as your family gathers together as your friends gather together, as you gather together with other believers, man, take time, set time apart to speak of God's goodness to one another. Of his faithfulness, of his kindness, of his mercy. Of who he is and what he's done. And draw encouragement from other believers. Set aside time. Dads, Set aside time this Christmas to sit down with your family and begin to just proclaim God's goodness to them. 
how God has been good to your family, how he's been faithful this past year. Set aside time with friends. Some of you guys have holiday traditions. You get together with friends on Christmas Eve, New Year's Eve. Man, just don't forget in those moments to proclaim the glory of God to one another. Don't allow those times to simply pass by you. Encourage one another. Proclaim his glory one to another. Now, the shepherds would have proclaimed his glory one to another. But I... I'm inferring here that they probably also would have told other people about this. Like, it's not much of a stretch for me to begin to think that the shepherds probably would have told a lot of people about this event. Like if you were standing in your backyard one night and some angels showed up, told you about a baby, led you to that baby, they said this baby is God, like you're not going home and going to sleep after that one. You know what I'm saying? Like you're finding somebody to go, listen, I know this is going to sound crazy, but I promise you this is what I just saw, and it's incredible. Like, like I, I, we're going to tell other people about these experiences. We're going to proclaim God's goodness and his faithfulness and his mercy and his glory to other people who do not know him, who have not experienced or enjoyed him the way that we have experienced and enjoyed him. Now, historically, we've called this evangelism. Call it evangelism. We are going with the gospel. Um, the word gospel means good news. comes from the Greek word euangelion. It's where we get the word evangelism, that we are going with the good news of the gospel. When we go, we tell others about Jesus. What we are doing is we are evangelizing. Historically, I don't think the church has done a great job with this. Now, we've done an okay job. I don't think, personally, I've done a very good job of this. And I think if we sit in this room and we really begin to think, how have we done with sharing the glory of God, with witnessing, with testifying, with evangelizing to those who do not know him, I would venture to say that most of us are probably in that same boat going, yeah, I haven't done a really good job of that. Here's why. This was, this was pivotal for me. As, as God really revealed this to me through his word. Here's why. I think it's because we've confused our motivation for telling others about Jesus. We've made evangelism something that we should do. Something that we ought to do. Something that the Bible says we should do, so now we should probably go and do it. We've missed the entire motivation for telling others about Jesus. It's not duty, it's not obligation, it's joy. It's joy. The shepherds don't leave this scene and go back and go, I guess we should probably tell some people about this. No, in their joy, they speak to others. In their joy of what they have seen and experienced, they tell others. It wasn't a duty for the shepherds. It was delight. It was delight. Um, I'd, I don't know about you, uh, but I, uh, there, there are a couple restaurants that I really like. I'll, yeah, I thank the Lord for. Um, that's Okay. Like, I'm glad that, like, God, like, made, like, food taste good. And, like, there are a couple of restaurants that I go to when I eat. I'm just like, mm, thank you, Jesus. Like, this is incredible. 
Uh, so I just want you to think about one of your favorite restaurants just right now. And, and I, I'll, I'll tell you, like, I, I'm going to be honest with you, and I could say a lot of places, but, but here's my pretty constant go-to. Um, and, and there's no right or wrong answers, um, but the right answer is Chick-fil-A. Like, let's just be real. And I know that some of you guys are like Chick-fil-A atheists, and you're like, no, we don't want to, like, talk about Chick-fil-A. Like, the drive-thru is always long, and there's always other people's kids touching my, fee, touching my food. I love Chick-fil-A. I think the Lord loves Chick-fil-A. Like, I really do. Like, I love Chick-fil-A so much. Uh, my wife and I have spent more money at Chick-fil-A probably in our time being together than maybe any other establishment. Um, I love another thing as well. I-, I love chocolate chip cookies. Like, I just do. Like, especially this time of year. Like, just something about a chocolate chip cookie that just, I mean, I'm just like, oh, this is incredible. Let me praise you, chocolate chip cookie, and enjoy the Lord through you. And a couple years ago, Chick-fil-A started to do what? Make chocolate chip cookies. It was the best day for me. Like, it was just this incredible moment of just like, you know, things converging in my life to just go, things are good right now. Chick-fil-A started to make chocolate chip cookies. And I really, really like Chick-fil-A chocolate chip cookies. They're good and they're warm. And man, they're, they're just really good. You know, actually, to be honest with you, I, I went because I have connections and I got a Chick-fil-A chocolate chip cookie. And um, I just knew that, like, once I started talking about it, I was just going to have to have one. That's real good. Um, I mean, I might eat this whole thing. You guys got time? You guys got some time? No. Um, I got another one. If anybody wants this, Jesus says love your neighbors. So there you go. Enjoy that. This chocolate chip cookie, I love it. So good. Now, notice what just happened there. There is a point to this. Notice what just happened there. I told you how much I enjoy chocolate chip cookies, Chick-fil-A. And then I enjoyed a Chick-fil-A chocolate chip cookie in front of you. And what that does is it creates desire in other people to go, those do look good. I would like one of those. Notice what I didn't do. I didn't teach you a seven-step process to being confident enough to eat cookies in front of people. I didn't have a program called Eat Cookies Without Fear. Like, I didn't walk through all of these different ways that you need to be okay to eat cookies. All that I did was tell you how much I enjoy Chick-fil-A chocolate chip cookies, and then I enjoyed them in front of you. And in doing so, it creates desire. That's all evangelism is. That's all evangelism is, is you going to your workplace, going to your neighbor, speaking how you enjoy the gift of God through Jesus and enjoying Jesus in front of them. And I guarantee it will begin to create desire. Create desire in them. They'll go, who is this Jesus that you find so much enjoyment out of? Nobody was offended by that, right? Like nobody was offended that I just ate a chocolate chip cookie and enjoyed it and told you that I enjoyed it. Like nobody was like, I'm never coming back to that church again. Nobody, right? I didn't set up an argument where I tried to show you how this chocolate chip cookie was going to be good. All that I did was tell you I enjoyed it and enjoyed it in front of you and it creates desire. Listen, that's getting to the heart of sharing our joy. Joy, not duty, not obligation, 
is the great motivator of mission. And if we are not witnessing, if you're not telling other people about Jesus, if you're not actively going and sharing about him, here's the thing that I would encourage you to do. I wouldn't encourage you to find some program. I wouldn't encourage you to try to find some um, way to learn more. Here's what I would encourage you to do. I just want you to check your joy. Are you joyful in who he is and what he's done? Have we gotten so comfortable with the good news of the gospel, man, that it doesn't even make a difference anymore in our lives? It doesn't bring us joy. I think we can get to that point. I think people in the scriptures get to that point. David in Psalm 51, who we would all say, David, man after God's own heart. In Psalm 51, David prays, restore to me the joy of my salvation. That should be a prayer for me every single day. That God would restore to me the joy of my salvation. That I would remember the gospel. And in my remembering of the gospel of what Jesus has done to reconcile me to the Father. That would overflow out of me into praise back to him. And proclamation of my joy to others. That's what we're called to do. Indwelling joy that overflows out of us. Into praise and proclamation. And joy in Christ always, always do that. Always overflow in praise and proclamation. So, so let me finish this way. Let me just ask a couple questions. How, how are you enjoying Father this Christmas? Like what are steps you are taking man, to really begin to just enjoy who God is. Maybe it's, maybe it's time in the word. Maybe it's gathering your family and, and speaking one to another about his praises. Maybe it's through Chick-fil-A chocolate chip cookies. Like how are you putting yourself in a position, man, where you just remember the joy of the gospel? And then how are you displaying that for others? How are you displaying that for others? Is it in the way that you speak? Is it in the way that you respond to adversity? Is it in the way that you show generosity? How are we allowing the joy that comes to us through Jesus to overflow out of us into praise and proclamation? Because that is what it was designed to do. For his glory, our joy, and others' good. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we love you because you first loved us. And God, I thank you this morning for the joy that comes with knowing Jesus. And the joy that comes only in your presence. And so God, I pray that this morning we would just feel that tangibly in our lives. God, thank you for the gift of Jesus. Thank you that you are with us, that you go before us. God, I pray for those in this room this morning who have not experienced the presence of you, who are searching for joy and just seem to be always coming up short. God, I pray that maybe this morning, through your word, through the Holy Spirit, God, that they would trust you for the first time. I pray 
that as believers, God, we would look for ways to display you to those who do not know you, that we would look for ways to speak of you one to another so that you might get the glory, our joy might be complete, and others might see you and know you. It's in your name that we pray.